Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter Do Death. Hi Phoebe, how are you today? Hi Dad, I'm very good. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. It's uh yeah, it's been a long week so far. But, I know um... it's only Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> yes, recording on Wednesday this week. Um which is slightly unusual for us, but uh, yeah, logistics are such. Yes, indeed. I don't know if you've been watching on television on BBC. It was a three-parter called Time. No. It had Sean Bean in it. It's about this man, Sean Bean, who is um, put in prison for four years for uh. dangerous driving, basically. And he's, he's a school teacher. He's an English school teacher, sort of middle-aged. But he gets put in prison with all of these other, should we say, more seasoned prisoners. And it, it's really quite, you can really feel what it must like be like to be locked up in okay. prison. Um, yeah, just the, the, the claustrophobia of it and having to share this little room with someone and the oh. aggravation between him and you know some of the bullies and how he shouldn't show any weakness because otherwise they'll just take advantage of him and it's a real deterrent <laughs> against That's doing good. anything that might lead to going to prison and in his case yeah he's a bit of a sad school teacher who's, who's been drinking for a long time and okay. by all accounts the crime he committed was dangerous driving where he knocked a man off a bike and killed him <gasps> oh, God. and uh, so when he's lying there in his prison bed at night, he just sees the images of this oh, uh, this man lying on the floor, lying on the ground with the bike wheel spinning and things like that. But, uh, it's not an easy watch. I haven't enjoyed watching it, okay. shall I say, but it's, it's very well done. Okay. So, uh, I'll, I'll have a look at it. that. I think I saw some reviews of it saying that it was really good and it yeah. was really true to life and really accurate. So. Yeah. There's a parallel story going on with one, one of the prison warders as okay. well. Um, but yeah, it's 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 good. Mm, it's I'll a good a go. piece Thanks. of uh, prison-based drama. Any news in the uh, in the real world of news? I mean, not in the real not... world. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was some news today that, um, or oh, maybe yesterday, in the last couple twenty-four hours, um, Laurie Vallow has been indicted on a, another charge of murder for murdering her fourth husband. Um, he was Charles Vallow, who said him that she has, and so. Laurie and Charles adopted JJ from Charles's sister and JJ and Tylee were the two children who were found dead. I was thinking earlier, maybe we should do like a special episode that um, breaks our rules, but just kind of goes through this case because I think it's fascinating and it's so many twists and turns and we talk about it quite a lot. So yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if we were just kind of doing a bit of a fill in on it. Um, if not, Morbid did a great series on it. And there's also like a, a Dateline series on the whole thing as well. But yeah. Um, yeah, so she's been indicted for another murder when he was shot by her brother and they claimed it was self-defense. Yeah. Um, and it was all really messy when it happened anyway. But yeah, no, she's been officially indicted for that. So they're kind of under charge of, of killing him and Chad Daybell's wife and the children. Mm-hmm. So it's not looking so great for her at the moment, but who knows what they're going to come back with around whether she's actually fit to stand trial or not. A couple of other things in the news this week, both around police officers actually mm-hmm. being imprisoned. Last week we had uh, the news that Derek Chauvin 
has been given 22 years for the second degree murder of George Floyd, which happened just over a year ago. Uh, And the other one here in the UK is uh, that PC Benjamin Monk has been in prison for eight years for the manslaughter of Dalian Atkinson, who is a former Aston Villa professional footballer Mm -hmm. who needed help, but instead just got tasered three times the third time for, was it six times longer than the recommended amount of time? And and then when he was on the ground, he got uh, kicked in the head. Yeah. And then died shortly afterwards. So yeah, awful. That's our news roundup for this week. That's our news roundup for this week. <laughs> In more positive news, we won the football last night. So you know. we did. Yeah, yeah. That's... Football's coming home. Well, it is for the next <laughs> for the next couple of days anyway. Yes. We'll see what happens on Saturday. Uh, see what happens but, yeah. on Saturday. So for this episode, episode twenty-two, Phoebe, I'm going to uh, tell you the story of Stephen Akimarelli. Uh, he was also known as the cul-de-sac killer and possibly, in fact, I think he is Britain's youngest serial killer. Interesting. So yeah. On Friday the 30th of October 1998, okay. a, a woman called around to check on her parents as so she hadn't been able to reach them for a couple of days. She, she was a bit worried about them. They lived in the area called Bisfam, which is just north of Blackpool. Okay. Yeah. Now, when she opened the door of what I presume must be a bungalow, she was horrified to find the whole place in disarray. A wardrobe was lying on the floor in the hallway. God. And underneath it was the body of her 77-year-old father, (gasps) Eric Baldman. And in the living room, the body of her mother, Joan Boardman, who was 74, was lying on the floor. No. Now, despite they're in their 70s, Joan and Eric had only been married for 27 years. Um, mm-hmm. But they were well known in Blackpool as before they retired, they used to operate a pleasure boat off the, off oh. the coast of Blackpool. And Eric had also been an electrician in his time as well. Now, when the police arrived and they uh, did their forensic search of the uh, of the of the scene under eric's body they found a number of batteries that had all been bound together with like gaffer tape okay um which had been used is like a, a makeshift kosh oh my god or bludgeon yeah and eric had got head neck and facial injuries joan had injuries to her face uh, but the actual cause of death in both cases was deemed to be strangulation, which is a very, yeah. a very personal method of murder. Is it apparently yeah. it can take several minutes of continuous sort of pressure around the neck for someone to actually die because you've got yeah. to squeeze that air pipe so much that basically they suffocate. And, it's supposed uh, to be it's really common in like domestic abuse isn't it or like passion killing strangulation because it's a real yeah you have to be it's not just a quick gunshot or a quick stab you have to be really really committed to it that, that could in itself could be a clue yeah <laughs> anyway the best forensic evidence that they had on from the scene was on this kosh on the on the tape that was binding all this these batteries together was a palm print um oh. now very quickly, the police were able to track down their chief suspect, 
because presumably they had his records on file. I don't know. I'm only speculating that bit. But two days later, on Sunday the 1st of November, they arrested Stephen Acumarelli. Now, he was born on the 16th of March, 1978. He wasn't very old then. No, and this is 1998 now. So he was just 20 when all this was happening. Wow. uh, In Nigeria. And he was 10 when his parents split up. Now, his mother originally came from the Isle of Man. And um, when his parents split up, she moved back to the Isle of Man, where he lived with her and his grandmother, who turned out to be really rather strict. And he didn't get on with her very well at all. Nevertheless, he, uh, he carried on at school. And eventually, when he was... 18 he moved to Blackpool which okay. is just over the uh yes, I'm far from over the water <laughs> from that yeah in fact um for our listeners who are perhaps not familiar with UK geography the Isle of Man is an island about halfway between the Cumbrian coast where the Lake District is and Northern Ireland so it's near the top of England and Belfast roughly is a stretch of water in the Isle of Man is in in the middle of that mm-hmm. and Blackpool is a seaside resort on the west coast of Lancashire it's famous for its lights its trams all along the seafront the Pleasure Beach amusement park and it has a tower that looks a little bit like the Eiffel Tower but not as big uh, <laughs> and underneath that at the bottom of that is a famous ballroom Oh. I mean, it's, it's sort of, um, I don't know, did it build up in the Victorian times? It's a bit like what Brighton was to London in the Victorian times, I think. Yeah. Where people kind of... from London used to go down to get the train. Yeah. Down to, um, but, a, I guess like Manchester. That's yeah, Manchester, Liverpool, happened. those sort of places would, um, it would be a, a, a sort of a seaside destination for those people to yeah. go. It, it is what it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's... Um... Uh, but like Vegas, but uh, <laughs> on an English scale. <laughs> yeah, but it has got quite a nice beach, though. It's um, yeah. that's seafront. It's quite nice. Which you don't I, I, I literally went that once when I went on that yeah. like, Christian Youth Weekend when I was what fourteen. Yeah, and that's the only <laughs> time I've ever been to uh, to Blackpool. Anyway, 1996, that's where Stephen Akimarelli moved to, to Blackpool, where he got a job in a benefits office okay, as a civil servant, basically, because it would yeah. be a government office. And he also worked evenings in a pub. Sounds like he's doing all right for himself. Not doing too badly. Yeah. Yeah. So that was on Sunday, the 1st of November, though. Police caught up with him uh, under suspicion of the murders of the, mm. of the Boardmans. And on Monday, the 2nd of November, Akim Morelli appeared in court and was held on remand. Okay. Meanwhile, police had still been investigating the death of Jemimaya Cargill. Now, she was a 75-year-old woman, and she had been found dead in her Blackpool flat after a fire at the property. Oh. Now, it transpired that Gemma Meyer had at one time been Stephen Akimarelli's landlady. Mm. So, yeah, there seems to be a bit of a link there. Too close for it to be a coincidence, isn't yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
the story is documented in a number of places. There are newspaper reports from the well from the time. Mm-hmm. There's several BBC News articles that are available. This appears in my book of the big book of serial killers. Okay. Um, but very little actually has anything by way of the evidence that was used to to actually charge him with. Right. The only thing really so far that I've been able to find that they had concrete evidence on is this palm print that was on this okay. cosh, this uh, thing that he used to, Back around the head to hit Mr. Baldwin with. Yeah. Nevertheless, on Friday the 6th of November, he was charged with Jeremiah Cargill's murder. Oh, okay. And that had happened just a couple of weeks before in October. Right. Okay. So it was still a, a new case. So at this point, they'd actually got three charges of murder against him. Quite a lot. In a week. Now, they they knew of him. They found out that he'd uh, come from the Isle of Man. So Lancashire Police set up a joint incident room with their colleagues in the Isle of Man. Okay. And in the Isle of Man, they were still working on murder cases or mysterious death cases from 1995 and 1996. Oh, wow, okay. Both involving elderly women. And they realised they had sufficient evidence, whatever that evidence was, to charge Akimarelli with the murder of Dorothy Harris, who was 68. And she was found murdered in her home on the island in February 1996. So a little bit before he moved to Blackpool. So again, on the 10th of November 1998, he appeared Mm -hmm. in court again. They also looked at a case that they've been looking at since May 1995, in which Marjorie Ashton, who was 72, was found strangled and burnt in her home that had been set on fire in Balsala on the Isle of Man. So on the 11th of December 1998, he was charged with that fifth murder as well, which had taken place... Actually, three and a half years earlier, that one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He got away with that for a long time. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I think in a number of the cases, the the fires were thought to have been accidents. Uh, women had died. Okay. I don't think they perhaps realised that they were murders. After being charged, Akimarelli was kept in prison awaiting trial, but it became quite clear that he had a very violent temper. He assaulted a doctor who worked at the prison at one wow. point, and he made many violent threats. Now, during mm-hmm. sort of investigations into him and uh, psychiatric reports and things that they did on him, it became clear that he had a hatred of old people. Oh, OK. He really did. Um, <laughs> Is this because it, of his evil grandmother? That, that's where they think it came from, yeah. OK. So, I mean, I know we've dealt with stories where serial killers have had difficult relationships with their mothers yeah, and they go off and kill prostitutes. Yeah. <laughs> well, in this case, it looks like that he had a difficult relationship with his grandmother. So he went off and killed pensioners. Wow. Oh dear. Anyway, he was, uh, he was locked up in Strangeways prison, which is okay. in Manchester. Um, I don't think it's called Strangeways anymore. I think it's actually called just Manchester prison now. But oh, okay. <laughs> at the time, it was called still called Strange Ways, and he spent varying amounts of time in sort of the hospital wing, uh, where he was treated for mental health issues. 
Okay. Basically, when he wasn't in the hospital area of the prison, he spent a lot of time in segregation within the prison. Oh, okay. And he had twice attempted to commit suicide, so was on suicide watch. He did have a girlfriend, and okay. she had also warned people of his suicidal tendencies. Um, and he had made it quite clear to her and to other people that were assessing him, the doctors and whatever, that he did not want to go on trial. Okay. He was adamant he did not want to be tried for any of this. I'm not quite sure what he thought was going to happen. It, whether he ever put a plea in, I don't know. I wonder why he didn't want to go on trial. I think well, the, the, the stress of it would have just sent yeah. him over the edge. I guess no one really wants to go on trial and help to account no. for what they've done wrong, do they? no. So he was examined by various people and a forensic psychiatrist who, who examined him. They actually decided that he was fit for trial, wow. but he was haunted by the images of his victims. He basically hated the fact that he'd killed them, wow. but he just felt completely compelled to do it. Okay. And and this torment was just pulling him in all sorts of different directions. So he was a very tormented young man. Yeah. As I say, he was only 20, 20. when all this was happening. Yeah. Was he diagnosed with any kind of mental condition? N- not, n- not that I can find any reference oh. to. However, um, just a few weeks before his trial was to begin, which would have been in the autumn of 1999, so like a okay, year. quite a long time. Well, it was... He was charged in 1998, November and December with the various. So, yeah, he was due to go on trial. I'm not sure what the dates were, but it would have been the autumn of 1999. Um, On the 28th of August, he was actually found hanged in his segregated prison cell. Even though he was on suicide watch, he'd um, carried it out in between watches i suppose you'd say where he'd basically made a ligature from his own clothing uh, okay and uh tied it to a window frame and hanged himself which mm. uh was a very sad end to a young but troubled life yeah now he had left well actually what turned out to be two notes one of them was addressed to his mother and in it he wrote i couldn't take any more of the feeling like how i do now always wanting to kill gosh okay (laughs) yeah so i think he was just completely tormented by Uh, another situation where perhaps he didn't get the help that he needed yeah Uh, i'm not a psychologist but um that that really sounds like some sort of personality disorder that would cause him to be so compelled to kill that's not just yeah you didn't have a great relationship with your grandmother that's well no there must be something else going on there to cause him to be so tormented and so compelled to kill people, to actually yeah. kill people in quite brutal ways. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, he did actually admit to other killings of oh, young, wow, okay. of younger people, but um, the police didn't believe his confessions. They thought that he was just um, confessing to something he hadn't done in an attempt to mask the ageist motivation of oh, his attacks. Okay. Because he didn't, yeah. He so he was trying to make out the kill anybody, but really he. Although they did look at other crimes and things uh, that hadn't been solved, no others were actually attributed to him. Okay. So um, yeah, that is the rather sad end to 
to his life. Yeah, it, it just, again, it's similar to that footballer that we were talking about where the policeman's yeah. been, where he it obviously got issues, but instead of getting help, he just got um, subjected to the, the penal system. Well, okay, in this case, he had committed five murders. Yeah. <laughs> or allegedly had. I mean, I don't know if it was ever proven. It's, there you um, go. It's a bit sad. No, it's sure sad. It's In, on lots of levels. Sad for the people who were murdered, obviously, and their families, but sad that he didn't get the support that he needed when he needed it so that he wouldn't have committed these murders in the first place, but yeah. then also that they didn't listen to him and give him the support he needed at the end to kind of, you know, rehabilitate him. Well, they actually found another note, which was in his pocket. Okay. Uh, whether it was actually a suicide note left for anybody, I, I it, it's not clear, but it was a note that was found in his pocket. And it said, I know it's not right always thinking like this, but it's always on my mind. I can't okay. help the way I feel. What I did was wrong. I know that and I feel for them, but it doesn't mean I won't do it again. I'll keep on having this feeling. I'm going mad because I can't take any more of this. And that's why I'm saying goodbye. Oh, my goodness. So, Yeah. Pretty pretty intense. Pretty intense. It's quite interesting looking at the BBC news reports of the time because they actually follow the case. So it, it starts off cool. with detectives hunting the killer of an elderly couple at their home of charged a 20-year-old man. And that was actually reported on Sunday, the 1st of November, 1998. And then on that Friday, it's got the, the report of him yeah. having... Uh, probably murdered Gemma Maya Cargill as well. Yeah, and then there is the news story from 1999 that he hanged himself. Yeah. Why was he called the cul-de-sac killer? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so he was called the cul-de-sac killer because the type of people that he killed lived in sort of quiet residential suburbs okay which is like um (laughs) retirement areas really cul-de-sacs yeah okay yeah makes sense makes sense good question (laughs) Um, yeah that's a sad one and he was so young as well to have done such awful things very young but yeah as i say probably um britain's youngest serial killer if that's (laughs) any sort of claim to have you want that accolade yeah Well, thank you for sharing that story. Quite an a short interesting one. one. <laughs> a short one, but an interesting one. Yes. There are reports of the story, but very little about the background, really. Yeah. yeah. Maybe there wasn't enough. He wasn't old enough to have much of a background, really. Yeah. But why he chose those particular people, don't know. They were just people that he knew of, I think. Yeah, okay. By all accounts, he just had a compulsion to, to kill. kill. And he didn't take any money from them or steal anything? Doesn't appear to have done. No. On murderpedia.org, it does say that the characteristics of his crimes were robberies, but I can't, again, find anything else that said that he stole money from these people. Okay. Certainly not a a feature. A sad story on all counts, I think. Yeah. Yes, it is. He needed help. Didn't get it. Didn't get it. uh, Yeah, not many pictures of the poor guy or his victims. The one picture we do have, I'll put it on our socials. Cool. Well, you, you can find us on Instagram at Dad and Daughter Do Death. And one on, word. Sorry. Out on Facebook at Dad and Daughter Do Death. Or you can email us at Dad and Daughter Do Death at gmail.com. 
and you can rate you can subscribe you can download um we'd love to hear your feedback we'd love to hear what you think so um thank you for listening i'll try and find a more gory one for next time <laughs> i've got a pretty good one I've, I've got a quite a gory one lined up but i might give it a miss because the last two i've done have been quite gory haven't they so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so join us next time when once again dad and daughter do death